This is Truth and Love Ministries, where we bring people home to God by learning His truth and experiencing His unending love. In today's message, we're walking through the book of James. Using this book as a guide, we learn several ways our faith is tested and how God has designed for us to endure. We pray this message refreshes you and speaks encouragement to whatever is going on in your life right now. Now, let's take a listen to the message. Opportunity, another chance to see another day. We should not take it lightly, nor should we take it for granted. We should not take even people for granted. Don't think that we're going to be here tomorrow. I may not. I may not. I may not. I may not. You know, every, everybody ought to keep their stuff packed up and ready to go. Like I did on my job. I, when the, I seen them fire about five people one time. So I went, in the, I went in the plant and got all my stuff out. Everything that belonged to me. Because when they terminate you, they don't let you go back in the plant. So when they get ready to terminate me, they're going to say, we'll get all your stuff. I'm telling them I already got a guy about 10 years ago. And you know what? We ought to live that way. We ought to live that way. We ought to live ready to go. We ought to live prepared and ready to go. Not that we're thinking about death and dying, but we know it's a reality. Not only is it a reality, but we ought to know that where, where we are going when we leave this world. So, it should not be a thing that we dread, something that we fear. It ought to be something that we, we look forward to. We're going to continue in the book of James, learning from James. The last one we did was the wisdom test, the second wisdom test. The first one was the wisdom that's from the earth is earthly, sensual, and demonic. And the wisdom that comes from God is first pure, peaceable, and easily to be entreated. Now, today we're going to talk about the pride test. I know that nobody in here is arrogant and proud. So tell somebody else about this message So, because I know none of y'all will need what I'm getting ready to say. Nobody but me. Nobody but me. And so I always like to give you a scriptural foundation for what I'm going to preach. And today is uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living or quick and powerful. And it says, It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And this part I want you to hear. It is a discerner of the thought, the attitude, the motive, and the intent of the heart. Think about that. The word of God examines your motive, your attitude, your thought, and the intent of your heart. In other words, he's looking at what you're thinking, feeling, wanting, everything when you do something. That's why folks say, you might can fool me but you can't fool God, okay? And the second one is, is Proverbs chapter 29, I'm not sure exactly what, what verse it is, but it says, a haughty spirit is before a fall. In other words, if you wanna go down, get high-minded. If you wanna go up, become low-minded. And so James is teaching us about pride. The pride test. You want to get to the root of it, the bottom of it. He says in James chapter 4, verse 1, from whence come wars and fighting among you? 
They come not hence even of your lust that war in your members. Think about that. We always think a fight comes from the outside. Somebody did something. Somebody said something. If they hadn't done that. But James said it comes from, from the inside. Two old friends were sitting on the porch one Sunday afternoon. One of them began to confess to the other one. And he said, he said, Bob, I got some things, something I, to tell you. He said, I never told this to a soul. He said, my wife and I have been married for 30 years. 30 years. And he said, out of those 30 years, there has not been one day that we didn't fight. Not one day. And Bob looked at him, and he was like, wow, he didn't know what to say. He didn't know how to take that. And the man told him, he said, even today, Sunday, before we came to church, my wife and I were fighting. And he didn't know how to respond, didn't know what to say to him, and he said, he said, well, how did it turn out? He said, well, she came to me on her hands and knees. He said, wow, what did she say? He said, she looked at me and said, come out from under that bed and fight like a man. <laughs> oh. You know, sometimes it just seems like folks just like to fight. You know what I'm saying? They just like to fight. Don't matter. They fight at home. They fight at work. They fight with relatives. They fight with neighbors. They fight with friends. They fight with the church folks. And if you put some of them in a room by themselves, I believe they fight with themselves. They, they fight with themselves. They, they fight by themselves if you leave them alone long enough. I don't know about you if you ever had an argument with yourself, disagreement with yourself. But this tests us at the very core of our nature and at our pride. The pride test is a big issue to James, and he divides it into two, three sections, selfish pride, presumptive pride, and greedy pride. And I know none of y'all have any of those, so just listen for your friends. When you see this in somebody, tell them about what you heard today. So James asked his readers where their continual desire to fight amongst them comes from, and the answer was surprising. Where does all that fighting come from? Where is it? Where does it start? He said, rather than point the finger outward, he said, this strife is in them. It's in each one of us, and it's because of what? Selfishness. Selfishness. When you see a fight, I want you to always see selfishness. Selfishness is that is rooted in their pride. He doesn't address it as a problem with the church as a whole body, but he addresses it as a problem with an individual in each one of them. It's not a problem with everybody, but it is a problem with everybody. Okay? So I want each of us to identify and recognize these areas in our lives where we harbor selfish pride. Look at your own life. And when the Holy Spirit shows you those areas, we got to ask him to help us to turn from that way and go to the selflessness way that Jesus offers. So what are the prevailing symptoms of pride?
James 2, verse, four through five, verse 2 through 5 says, Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and ye cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not. Why? Because you ask not. And he said, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss or with the wrong motives that you may consume it upon your lust. He said, you adulterers and, and adulteresses. Thank him for putting male and female in that. He said, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Let me say this before we go any further. Every person, please just say, God, help me. God, help me. He said, do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Okay, what are the symptoms? What are the prevailing symptoms of selfish pride? It ain't seasonal. You are actually born with it. I want you to remember a message I did a while back. I think when I first started, James, I was telling you that God's desire for all of us is for us to pass the test. He does not send the test so that we can fail. He sends it so we can pass. So in every test, you have the option and the opportunity to pass the test. Okay? God didn't intend for you to fail. He, didn't intend, he did not intend for Adam and Eve to fail. He intended for us to overcome. So, you can't catch this from other people, but guess what? Being around people with this same problem, it's going to make it worse. You know, you know I'm telling the truth. If you got a bad attitude, who do, who, who do you not need to go around? Folk with a bad attitude. And the truth of the matter is, if you're going through a situation and you've been wrong, let me tell you, the last person you need to go talk to is your friend because they're going to tell you what you want to hear. You need to come talk to me. So I can tell you, no, it's you, it's you, it's you, oh Lord, it's you. <laughs> because if you go to the wrong people, I'm telling you, they're going to make it worse. They're going to make it worse. They're going to pump you up to the place where you're ready to go and turn the plant manager's office upside down. And when you look back, you're going to be by yourself. Those that say they were going to stand with you, they're going to be gone. But I want you to know this, but if you leave this unchecked, selfish pride will destroy everything you hold dear. Marriages, relationships between children and parents, it'll destroy your family, friends, it'll destroy the church. And this is not an exaggeration. This is the main problem. When you get to the bottom of it, this is the main problem. It is the most destructive disease known to man. It's the worst that we have. So, what do you do? What do you look for to know if you have selfish pride? What are the symptoms? The first one is lust. And it's so sad that every time somebody thinks about lust, they think about sex. So, we always think of lust has to do with sex. Got a sexual connotation. That's not the only, it's not, it does not exclude it. It's included, but it's not limited to that. It's a whole lot bigger than that. It's a whole lot bigger than that. So in, in verse 1, the same word is used where we get the word 
hedonism, which is basically just saying you're just plain out selfish. You're all for yourself. And the truth of the matter is, I'm trying to find the person that's not. It carries the idea of having a completely self-centered view of life. And, and we've heard this. The motto is, whatever feels good. I've heard it said this way, go for the gusto. You only go around in life once. Whatever make you happy, do it. And that world is completely controlled and dominated by what? Me. 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 It's all about me. Listen at this, y'all. Even the things they do for others are done because it makes them what? Or it makes them feel needed or gives them self-worth. You know what? When I, when, I said, when I saw that this morning, when I was reading that, this is what God showed me. He said, Matthew chapter 7, that's why when Matthew chapter 7 says, in the, in the last days, there will be many that come to me and say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then he will say to them and say, I never knew you. Depart from me. And I couldn't understand it until I saw this, and it makes sense. This is not the only reason, but it makes sense that some people are doing stuff because it makes them feel good, look good. Feel needed. Gives you self-worth. And that's why I gave you the first scripture, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It is a discerner of the thought, the attitude, the motive, and the intent of the heart. Why do you do what you do? You can't fool God. You cannot fool God. And I'm going to tell you something. A lot of times I believe that the reason why we're not blessed in our giving, why we're not blessed in our living, is because our motives are not Right. We don't do it with the right motive. We don't do it with the right heart. I want you to think about the story when Jesus was talking about the people that were coming up in front and they were giving. And all those rich people, they were coming up and they were giving out of their abundance. They, was, they were proud because they could come and put big money in. And when Jesus looked at it, he saw a widow that had two mites. And he said, this widow has given more than them all. Why? It was all she had, and out of her heart, her motives were right. And see, a lot of times we look at the amount and we think we're doing something because we gave this great amount, we gave this big amount, we did this, we did that. But the truth of the matter is, God is looking not at the hands, he's looking at the heart. And the same way, when he got ready, when he got ready to select the king, and Samuel went to Jesse's house, and Jesse brought all of his boys before him, and he said... Nope, 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 nope. Do you have another son? He said, yes, I got one more. Where is he? He's out feeding the sheep. Bring him in. And when Jesse saw David, he said, that's the one. And this is what Samuel said. He said, God does not look on the external of man. He looks on the heart. He's looking at the heart. So when you do things, you ought to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Because I'm going to tell you something. Most of the money that I've given away, given away, I probably could have kept it. 
when it comes to God because my motives were not right. We need to ask ourselves, why do we do what we do? So the original word for lust that's used in verse 2 deals more with desire, but the first is the state of being. It's who the person has become. They become selfish. And I'm telling you, man, I, I, I thought it was bad until I seen, I don't know what generation they call them. They call them X, Y, Z, W. I don't know who they are. The truth of the matter, I don't know. I don't know what generation y'all are. But I'm tell you, that, that X, Y, I know it's the last alphabet in, in, in the alphabet. It's the last, it's somewhere around the end. It's X, Y, Z, U, V, W, somewhere up in there. It's in there somewhere. That generation of people are terrible. They are terrible. You know, I mean, people actually come to work and they want you to set the job up around them. They want you to fix it so, you know, okay, Monday night going to be the championship game. We ought to be off. I mean, why do we have to work when Georgia's playing TCU? I mean, re y'all really want us to come? I mean, when you think about, when you think about the other night, the other night when, when there were storms everywhere, I walk around people. Y'all keep an eye on the weather? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I said, how long have you been living in Alabama all my life? Well, you just know it's raining out there. Get your butt to work. Any reason to go home? You got people on third shift on the job. They'll leave at 3 o'clock in the morning. Where you going? What you got to do? Ain't nothing on but Waffle House. I mean, where you going? They want the job to be catered to them, set up around them, so that they're, they, can live, they, can, they can have, I can have money, and I can live my life and do what I want to do. It's all about self. And we wonder why. Let me, tell you, let me tell you why when you go to Walmart, when you buy cars, when you go do all this stuff, and you buy all this stuff, and you wonder what, why, it's, why it's messed up when you get it? X, Y, Z, or whatever the letter, whatever letters they are. You got X, Y, Z working in the factory. And rather than thinking about the job, they're thinking about what they're going to do after they get off. It's a state of being is who they become, okay? So the intense craving of an alcoholic for the next drink, it's the famished hunger of a starving man. It's the parched, dehydrated nomad as he walks across the deep burning desert sands with no water in sight. It's, it's those kind of cravings. And the objects can take on many forms, sex, drugs, alcohol, power, money, position, status, achievement, competition, popularity. Takes on many forms. It don't just be in one thing. But the symptom is the same. It's selfishness. It's selfishness. It's still lust, no matter what the object, it is still destructive. And the first symptom of selfish pride is lust, okay? Now, the second symptom is consumption. Consumption is what makes 
what the person who lusts does with what he receives of his lust. What does he do with it? Full of sexual lust? Sex is merely a conquest. Read that, let that soak in. All the all y'all young folk, let that soak in for a minute for a minute. It's a conquest. It's not an act of love or 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 an act of passion. It's a conquest. It's putting a notch on my gun. It's a bragging point. It's something I can go tell my friends. It's consumption. It's devouring prey. And the person who lusts for achievement is never satisfied. Never satisfied. And I'm telling you, it's in all of us. Man, I seen them, I seen them, I seen the, the folks at the plant give them, get a get a get a folk, everybody raised. That's all we get. Never grateful. Never satisfied. Never enough. Never enough. I mean, I I've gotten raises. I make more money than I ever have in my whole life. But you know what? I could stand a little bit more. It ain't never enough. Anybody, anybody making the money that they want to make, and if you don't make another dime, you okay? Okay, that's what I thought. <laughs> I didn't think I was by myself. Even the folks on Social Security want their check to go up. <laughs> as soon as we get one achievement, we obsess the next goal. We ain't, it's never, the, the, this, this part of it is never, never satisfied. As soon as Tyler learned how to fly a, a one-engine plane, guess what? Now he's thinking about he's going to try to fly one with two engines. Next thing you know, he want to he be a commercial pilot. Then he won't want to fly for the Air Force. He want to fly F-15, just one time. <laughs> then he gonna want to fly a helicopter. You know, just, just, just don't never stop. <laughs> and those who say that we repress our teenagers when we tell them to abstain from sex, they are wrong. They are wrong. Because you know what? The more you feed consuming lust, the bigger it grows, and it's like a consuming fire. Abstain. Let me tell you something. If I had never had a little Debbie, I wouldn't be thinking about them. <laughs> if I had never eaten the first one, if I had never tasted sugar, I would have never. I mean, I'm telling you, 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 you can feed your babies that little stuff that don't have no taste to it. But the moment you give them something off the table, it's over. It is over. They're going to spit them little green peas out that has no flavor, nothing but color. They is spitting that out. You feed a dog. If you give your dog dog food, he's good. Throw a bone on the ground. He ain't eating no more dog food. He wants some chicken just like you. It is... <laughs> 
it get worse and worse. The more fuel you put on the fire, the bigger it gets, the more destructive it becomes. And so the, 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 the cure for it is don't feed it. The cure for it is don't feed it. The best cure for it is don't start it. Don't start it. It is starving it. Starving it through the use of the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit and having self-control. And I'm going to tell you, most folk don't have self-control. And you don't know you don't have self-control until one day you're at home by yourself. I think I'm under control, man. I got everything under control. How many folks like this when you're at home? Now, when you're at work, you th we think we have self-control. When you're at work, you eat lunch and you take a break. When you're at home, you eat all day. You eat all day. I mean, you, you can't walk through the kitchen without something calling your name. You know, we, we try to discipline ourselves and you say, say, I'm not going to eat but one cookie. So you go in there and you get one cookie. And by the time you get back to the den, you've eaten that one cookie and you find yourself doing what? Go ahead and take the pack down there with you. I mean, quit playing. You're going to eat the whole pack. You got to ask God to help you. You got to ask him. You got you to ask him to help you. Because you, I mean, you might, I mean, why, I mean, you, maybe you burn, maybe you burning it off as you keep walking up there getting one at a time. I don't know. I don't know. So the first symptom of selfish pride is lust. The second symptom is consumption. And the third symptom is friendship with the world. It just get worse and worse. It gets worse and worse. It's pride, it's lust, it's consumption, and then it, it gets to be friendship of the world. When the, when the obsession of your life is you, it cannot be God. It cannot be God. When all you can think about is you. When you're obsessed with feeding your all-consuming lust, you cannot be obsessed with God. As a matter of fact, you cannot really even think about him. And the truth of the matter is, you ought to ask yourself this question, what do I think about most of the time? What consumes my thought? What consumes my mind? Ask yourself that question. And know this, that God will not say, take second place to anything in your life. Amen. He's not going to take second seat. He's not going to share your focus. And this is what we call the first commandment. Exodus 20, verse 3, God said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Have no other gods before me. And, you know, we think that he's talking about Muhammad and Buddha and Krishna. And, you know, we think that's what he's talking about. But he, you, let me tell you what he's talking about. He's talking about you, yourself, your selfish lust, your all-consuming desires. Anything in this world that you obsess over is your God. Anything that keeps you awake at night. Any things that you, you can't stop thinking about, your God, whether it's your desires, your home, your health, your spouse, your stuff, your kids, it does not matter. Let me tell you something. Give all that stuff to Jesus. Give it all to Jesus. Give it all to Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you, everything that you, everything that you think you own, you're going to try to protect you're going to try to keep it. You're going to worry about it. You're going to try to save it. You're going to do all this stuff. You're going to be consumed with it. Give it to God. Amen. 
Give it to him. Just say, God, take my wife, my house, my children, all this stuff. I'm, I can't carry it. I cannot carry it. And when I do, it consumes me and it becomes my God. And this is what God told me one time. He told me this. He told me this about one of my children. He said, now, he said when you put that child above me, he said, you put it in a position for the devil to take it. And then we try to blame God for it. He said, now you put it over me. So you put it in the position for the devil to mess with it. God is not going to take second place to anything that you have, anything you love, anything you desire. And I'm not telling you not to love your children. I'm not telling you not to love your family. I'm not telling you to not take care of your stuff. But I'm telling you, do not put it in competition with God. He will not put up with anything in this world that he created being elevated above his son, Jesus Christ, in your heart. There's a place designed, set for him to be in your heart. And if you put anything in that place, you put it for the devil to get it. Friendship with the world is enmity. That is utter hatred with God. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and what? Mammon. For most folk, that's money. But that's not just money. Mammon is the spirit of money that actually compete. It's the materialistic world and system. That's what he's talking about. He said you can't serve both. And see, when he says, Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon, that tells me that both of them are calling for servants. God and mammon. Both of them looking for servants. And God won't share his glorious throne with anybody, anything at all, period. So the first symptom of, of symptom of selfish pride is lust. The second symptom is consumption. And the third symptom is friendship with the world. And the fourth symptom is envy. James chapter 4, verse 5. The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. Envy is an extreme form of jealousy, and the outcome and result of lust. If your heart is full of lust toward an object, it is all you obsess on. It's all you think about. No matter how much of it you consume, you still want more and more and more. And the point to that point it's become your God and your soul desire. It's become what you worship. So ask yourself the question, how are you going to feel when other people have some of it, whatever it is? How do you respond when somebody else get promoted? How do you respond when somebody else gets a blessing? What do you think? I'll tell you what I think sometimes. That should have been me. I should have gotten that. It works in everybody, I'm telling you, folks. It works in all of us. How do you feel when somebody else has it good, something good has come to them? If you lust for success, you are not going to feel joy in the success of others. You're going to feel jealous. That's how it works. It's an appetite that's never satisfied, and you're going to be sitting somewhere saying, I deserve that. 
I've heard people say it. I should have got that promotion. How he get the job? I'm sure a lot of them look at me and say that. You know, I, I used to be the janitor. <laughs> I used to be the janitor in the plant. And now I run the whole second shift. Everybody on second shift running me. And I'm sure they look at me like, how he get the job? Amen. They ask me, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I agree. <laughs> I agree with you 100%. As a matter of fact, when I applied for the job, let me tell you why I applied for the job that I got. I applied for it because another guy was applying for the job, and he'd been there less time than me. And I said, I'm not going to have that joke coming over here telling me what to do when he don't know what he's talking about. I said, he's going to be my boss, and I'm going to be running him off my job, and it ain't going to look good. So let me apply for the job. And this is the honest to God truth. When I got ready to, when I got ready to apply, they sent me a link. I, I applied, but it didn't go through. Let me tell you how I know I was supposed to get the job. I applied for the job, and, and my application didn't go through. So all this time, I'm thinking and waiting on an interview. And one day, another area manager was in the office talking to the HR manager, and they said, when are you going to give Isaac that job? He said, Isaac didn't apply for it. She said, yes, he did. You better check. You better reach out to him. And so he sent me a link, and he said, apply for the job on this, on this link. And so I went in there, man, and I'm going to tell you, some of those questions, I did this. And I can't type. <laughs> I went down the keyboard just like this. I didn't, put, I, didn't, I didn't put real answers in there. You know why I did that? Because I said, if you don't know me by now, I've been here 26 years. If y'all don't know me now, if I got to sit down here and explain to you who I am, forget it. Amen. I don't want the job. And so that's how I knew the job was for me because I hadn't even applied. They could have gave it to somebody else and there was nothing I could have said. But God fixed it so these people... So, man, I'm, I'm where I am because God wanted me where I am. Okay? So, it is an all-consuming fire. It grows and it grows. It is elevating the object of your desire to the place of God in your life. It results in envy, jealousy toward other people. And James says, this is why we fight. This right here is what has destroyed homes, jobs, churches. You know, you, I mean, I, I, remember, I remember the church I, I used to attend when I was growing up. They literally had physical fights in that church. Physical fights. There have been churches went to the Supreme Court to settle their differences. Supreme Court of Alabama to settle their differences. Why? Because everybody thinks they deserve it, it's mine, this should be me, and they're not happy when other people succeed or have what they think they should have. When you start to feel sick, what do you do? Take your temperature. You look at the back of your throat. You check your symptoms. So check yourself out. Do you have the symptoms of selfish pride? Is it in you? Do you see the symptoms of it in you? If it is, don't feel bad. You're not alone. There's a lot of people around you that have it. If you do, you need to get to the source of the problem. And we've seen what prevailing symptoms of self-pride. So what are the primary, what's the primary?
primary source. Look at James 4, 6. He said, but, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he says, but God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. That's the scripture God spoke to me that night when I was down there, thought I was too good to dump trash. And he spoke this to me. And I thought the word resistance, and I thought that was just, man, I didn't realize what it really meant. I didn't really, really, really realize what he was saying when he said it. So the, the source of selfish pride, we can see from that verse that it didn't come from God, right? God is completely opposed to it, so it didn't come from God. And he resisted, that's a military term. And man, when I, when I saw this today, I, I, I thought I was in bad shape when I thought about it then. I didn't really realize that God put all of heaven lined up in opposition against me. Can you imagine that? Whew. It's offensive to him. So, do you remember the reason that Satan fell in the first place? Why did Satan fall in the first place? His pride attempted to elevate him above God. Adam and Eve's sin was rooted in pride. I kind of struggled with that when I first read it, but then when I think back, God intended for them to succeed. This thing was in them, but it didn't have to be activated until they listened to the devil. Satan told them that if they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would be like God. When I thought about that, when I first thought about that, I thought about he made a fool out of them because the Bible says God said, let us make man in our own image. But that's not the being like God that they were thinking about. Out of their pride, that's what they wanted. They wanted to do what? Govern themselves. They wanted to be free. They didn't want anybody to tell them what to do, even God. Now, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Every one of y'all been children. Some of y'all still children. Let me ask you this question. When you were growing up, have you ever just one time, just one time, just one time, get tired of your mom and daddy telling you what to do? Yes. Just one time, did you? Did you, did you just one time say, I can't wait till I get grown so I can get my own house, my own job, make my own money so I can do what I want to do? Anybody just one time? Just one time? So y'all did? Everybody did? See, that thing been in all of us from, from birth. Even when you were a child and didn't know you had selfish pride, you had this thing working in you where you wanted to govern your own self. And just think about that. If your mom and dad had said, okay, get out. What you going to do at five? Because I, 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 wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't a big kid when this happened. I was young. I was too young to, to, to govern myself. Can you imagine what would happen to us? Let's think natural. What would happen to you if you were allowed to govern yourself? You can look at the generation now and tell what's happening. Because, you know, I look at young people now and I wonder, like, I, I was thinking to myself, I was, like, I was like, man, when we were kids, fat couldn't even catch us. When we... I mean, now everybody, everybody fat. I don't feel bad about being fat. I used to feel bad. But now I feel pretty good. I, you know, I, I, every now and then I look in the mirror, I see this, 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 this keg in front of me, and I be like, man, I need to lose that. But then I look around, I say, shoot. Man, I'm, 
I'm a part of the club now. I ain't see skinny folk look like me. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. We don't want anybody telling us what to do, even God. And even now, <clears throat> it's the core of every sin that's been committed. And, and listen to this. The word means that they uh, act, that the word means the act of arrogantly elevating yourself until you appear to be above others, even God. Think about that. And we still do it. And you know how we do it? We, we judge ourselves by ourselves. And I'm going to tell you something. There's a guy who worked with us, and he, he judges the other guy by himself. In other words, he's become the ruler. He's become the standard. He's become what everybody else should be. Have y'all ever done that? Y'all ever done that? Y'all ever looked at somebody and said, talked about how they're not right, how they're not good, how they're not straight. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this because I've done it myself. I've done this myself. I looked at somebody and called them lazy. What was I judging them by? My own self. I'm judging them by me. I'm judging them by what I consider, I consider myself to be the standard. And the Bible says when we judge ourselves by ourselves and compare, compare ourselves among ourselves, we become fools. In other words, when I judge myself by myself and compare myself among myself and see I'm elevating myself to be the standard for everybody else to live by. And that's crazy. I'm judging the world by me. And it's the appearance. It's just an appearance. Where does it come from? It doesn't come from God. What is the source of pride? We can't even blame the devil. We can't even blame the devil. He can tempt us to have pride, but pride is something we come up with on our own. Satan tempted Adam and Eve with fruit. He lied to them about what it would do for them, but the fact that they wanted to eat the fruit to become like God, that was all on their own. They were saying, I want to be like God. In other words, I don't want God telling me what to do. I don't want to be governed by anybody. I want to choose my own way and live my own life. So what's the cure? How can we escape such a judgment? One word, grace. Grace. Now, grace is not considered in this particular text unmerited favor. It is God's power, God's ability. And he said God gives grace to the humble. How does that humility play out in real life? What does it look like? What does it look like? James chapter 4, verse 7 through 11 says, Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw not to God and he'll draw not to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted. Look what he says now. Look what he said. He said, be afflicted and mourn and weep. And let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. And then he says, speak not evil one of another, brethren. 
He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law. Okay, so I want to bag up because I, I want you to see some things. Okay, he said, now submit yourself to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinner. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And then he says, he says for us to be afflicted, mourn, and weep. In other words, he's saying, this is what he's telling us. He said, when you see this in you, it should make you sad. It should break you. You remember I told y'all a, a, a little while back that one day I got to the place and the point where I looked in the mirror and I said, I hate myself. I don't like myself. I said, God, help me because I don't like me. And when I did that, that's when God began to help me. I'm telling you something. If you, anything you like, you can't get rid of. You cannot get rid of it. Anything that you like, anything that you love, anything that you care for, it's hard to throw it away. It's hard to get rid of it. That's why we get, get to be, all of us get to be hoarders to a certain degree. We got stuff around the house. Just, oh, man, that's, a, that's my favorite little gadget, man. I'm going to put it right here. You know, I mean, just all kind of junk around the house. We just keep so much stuff. We keep so much craziness around the house. So, you know, I, I got so many screws and so many. I, I, Tyler, you like that? I'm going to save this screw because I might need it later on. Yeah. And later on when you need it, what happens? There you go. Let me give you some help. Let me help you. Anything that's under $10, throw it away. You can go to Lowe's. They can go to the computer, and they can tell you exactly where it is. That stuff you're trying to say, <laughs> that stuff you're trying to say, that stuff you're trying to keep up with, I'm going to use this later on. I might need it later. You're going to put it down here in this cabinet, and you're going to try to say it. When you get ready to need it, you're not going to be able to find it. I had, man, when I... I, when I, I, need, I had plumbing tape. I had all this stuff. But when I got ready to do some plumbing, I couldn't find the tape. You know what I really need to do? When I get through with a job, just throw the stuff away. Because the truth of the matter is, I ain't going to be able to find it. I ain't going to be able to find it. But he said, now, you got to get to the place where you don't like it. You got to get to, you got to be, be afflicted, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourn and your joy to heaviness. And then that's what humility comes from. And then he started talking about, speak not evil one of another brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother. Think about this. In the book of Revelation, the devil is considered to be the accuser of the brethren. That's what he's called. But guess what? When we start accusing, judging, criticizing each other, we relieve him of his job and give him time to do other things. That's what we do. Speak evil, speak not evil one of another, brethren. We judge each other. How do we judge each other? Because we set ourselves to be what? The standard. I'm, I'm not the standard. And so by doing so, and, I, and I'm telling you, I am guilty, guilty, guilty. I looked at a man uh, some, a month, month or so ago, and I made a judgment about him. And you know what I found? You know what I realized? You're not, you're not going to treat people better than what you, how you see them. If I see you as a, as a crook, a criminal, a thief, a liar, a thug, that's how I'm going to treat you. Eventually, what I really feel is going to come out. So 
What are some practical solutions for selfish pride? Three in the book of James, under the statement of umbrella of submitting to God, he said, now, they are things that we, when we do our part, God will do his part. The first practical one is to resist the devil. Resist the devil. Now, now, it's interesting that the destroy pride that lives inside our own heart, we have to resist the devil that lives outside of our heart. Now, I want you to understand something. You got to understand this because if you don't, the devil is working a number on you and you will never know he's working a number on you. Because see, a lot of times when we sit somewhere and we are thinking, we think that we're thinking. You think that you're thinking. You think you're actually having a conversation in your own mind. But the truth of the matter is, those thoughts are coming from somewhere. The devil sits and talks to you all day long. And you think that you're thinking to yourself. But he's injecting thoughts into your mind. You got to come to the place where you got you to challenge the thoughts that come into your head. Because if you don't challenge those thoughts that come into your mind, then you will have conversations and be listening to the devil and entertaining what he says. He's going to talk to you, I'm telling you. I mean, have you ever been sitting somewhere and you, you look at a person and, and, and a voice comes to you and says, look at him. Look at that person. Look at him over there. He think he's cute. Who's talking? Where is that coming from? Who's, who's saying that? Where is that coming from? Those are, that's the voice of the devil. See, you think that you're thinking it, but it's him talking to you. And you having a conversation with him and not even aware of it and entertaining what he says. Because when he said, look at him, you should say, uh-uh. <laughs> not looking. Because the next thing is going to be something critical about him. When that starts to happen, you got to realize it's the devil talking to you. See, you know, we done, we done made the devil with a pitchfork and horns and a red suit and long tail. And we done made him this wicked, evil thing. But he's so subtle. He slips into our mind through our thoughts. And we'll be thinking devilish thoughts and don't even think about that we're thinking about it. If Adam and Eve had resisted the lies of the serpent, they would have given in to the pride that was in their, in their heart. They would have never given in to it. But they listened to him. They listened to him. Now, let me say this to you. You know, people think it sounds, it sounds easier. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Simple, isn't it? But how many folk know that I'm not going to say, no devil, I'm not doing that, and he just go away. The devil is not going to go away until he knows that you mean what you say, and you're saying it in faith, then he has to flee. And I'm going to tell you, so for, for some of us, we got to say that a hundred times. We just got to keep saying it. Nope, nope, not doing it, devil, not doing it. Word of God says this, not doing it. Word of God says this, I'm not doing it. Word of God says this, because he's, gonna, he, he's persistent. He's persistent. So, but by listening to him, they allowed him to play on their pride that he knew was in their heart, just waiting to be fed. The devil knows you. The Bible says this about Jesus. Jesus, Satan has come and found nothing in him. In other words, Jesus didn't have anything that the devil could actually work on, move on. And so, but guess what? He was raised with you. So he knows everything about 
you. He knows all those little things. On his, his stuff is inside of you. And so when he comes, he's appealing to what he knows you've done or what's in your family history. He's appealing to, if, if, if my daddy did this, then he's going to try it on me. Because it's in my genes. It's in my family line. That's why you see generational stuff that keeps going on in families. So by listening, you allow him to prey on what's on the inside of you. You're feeding it. So when he plays on our selfishness, resist him. He tells you, you don't deserve to be treated like that. He's trying to get you in self. Resist him. This is what he told me. You're too good to do that job. Not gonna let, I'm not going to let these people see me dump trash. I'm better than that. That's what I thought. And I got to the place where I resisted him. I got to the place where I enjoyed dumping trash. Matter of fact, I was thinking about going back dumping trash. I mean, it's it just a, it so, so, man, people, people don't realize. I mean, we look at people and think, oh, man, he's just a janitor. Man, that man got some, that man down on the job, he walking around laughing, talking trash, talk, telling jokes. <laughs> he ain't stressed out with nothing. The trash ain't fighting going over in the trash can. <laughs> the dirt ain't resisting coming up off the floor. I mean, everything just working like it's supposed to work. Man, you put the mop down, mop it up, the dirt come up. You turn the trash can over, the trash fall out. Man, he walking around just laughing. That's where I used to be at Lowe's. When I had a cleaning contract with Lowe's, I go in there, man, I go in there laughing. I go in there, that's the best job I ever had. Peace. But we gotta learn how to, we gotta learn how to resist the devil. And if you do not resist him, what'll happen? If you do resist him, God promises that he will flee from you. He'll leave you alone. Now, the second practical solution is to draw nigh to God. And Repent from your sin. Turn from evil in your life and do what God's commanding. But this is what I want you to understand. I got to tell you this. You got to understand what confession and repent is two whole different words. Okay? So when I confess my sin, I'm actually dealing with what I've done. To repent means that I'm changing my mind. Now one of them is instant and the other one takes time. So I can confess my sin, and it took care of what I did, but if I want to stop doing it, then I got to repent. I got to change or renew my mind. In other words, I got to take, there's going to come a thought in my mind to keep doing that same thing. So when that thought comes into my mind to do the same thing, I got to find a word that actually counters what I thought in order to keep from doing the same thing. If not, I'm going to keep going to God, confessing the same thing. Oh, God, forgive me for this. God, forgive me for this. And then, and you know, like I said, y'all remember I told y'all when I used to drink, I said, God, God, if you'll help me to come down, if you'll help me this time, I won't do it no more. And I could have said till next Friday. Because next Friday, I'll back doing it again. I was drinking. I was getting high. Right, next Friday, I'll back at it again. Why, why, why Friday? Because I didn't have to work on Saturday. And so Friday, I just get wasted. So, you know, I, and I remember the time I was so high. Man, I don't know what they had put on that marijuana I smoked. But I was so high. I got so high, I was scared. 
I said, God, if you'll help me come down, I won't ever do this again. I said, till next Friday. <laughs> if you get me out of it this week, I won't do it till Friday. That's what I should have said. I mean, that's what I should have said, because next Friday, I was back at it again. Oh, God, if you help me come down, I won't do it no more. And you know what does that? Because I confess and not repent. I confess and not repent. I confess and not repent. And repentance takes time. Confession takes care of the issue, but repentance takes care of the cause. If you don't deal with the cause, then you'll always be dealing with the issue. He said, now turn from evil in your life. Do the things the Lord has commanded you to do, and if you do, God will draw out of you. And then he says, don't speak evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil as a brethren judges his brethren. Speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. It means that we treat other people right. It means that we look at people not with a judgmental or critical eye. God, help us. Help me not to look at a man that's sitting under a bridge to judge him as being a bomb. Because you know what? There's been some millionaires under a bridge by choice. There was a man who used to walk around, walk around town, Opelika. Man, the man looked like he didn't have nothing. Wore the same clothes all the time. They found out when the man died, the man was a darn millionaire. We've been judging of the bomb. I'm telling you, you cannot look at people and determine who they are. Most of the time when we judge other folks, we're judging by what's in us. The bottom line to being humble is to treat folk right, to realize that Jesus died and loved those people. It is impossible to treat yourself better than other people and be humble. It's impossible to say something down about somebody else and then call yourself humble. You can't, it, the two don't go together. And he said, they'll know we're Christians by love. Love. If you elevate yourself above people that God cared enough to send his son to die for, elevating yourself against God's sacrifice, against God's son, against Jesus. And that is not going to come out good in any way, shape, or form. So, three simple things that, cannot, that you cannot accomplish on your own. As a matter of fact, you have no hope of getting it done without one thing, and that's God's grace. We got to have his grace. He, got, he has to empower us. And he gives the grace to enable you to accomplish the solutions for your selfish pride. And he's extending it to everybody that will receive it. Everybody that will ask him for help, he'll help them. And I'm telling you, everybody in here, all of us, need to ask God to help us with being selfish. Selfish and pride. Because all of us at some point in time have thought more of ourselves than what we ought to and less of somebody else than what we should have. Why would you allow pride to get in the way of accepting his grace? Swallow your pride and accept his grace for you now. Accept his grace now. I'm telling you, 
Every one of us ought to ask God. Every one of us ought to ask God to help us. Help us. I'm telling you, if, I, if this message helped you to see any of this in you, which every one of us had to see something of it in ourselves, we should be right now asking God to help us. We should not be feeling good about ourselves, but we should be, to the, not to the point where we're weeping and crying, but we should see ourselves in a different light. God help us. God help me to see myself as I truly am. And when I say that, I'm not saying that in a one-time event. I'm not saying that to sound spiritual. But I'm telling you, if you pray this with me, if you pray and ask God to help you to see yourself, I'm telling you tomorrow, if not today, something is going to happen for, that's going to happen around you so you can see who you are. You're going to say something about somebody. You're going to think something. And then that's when you're going to know who you really and truly are. Are you courageous enough to ask God to help you? Help me. Help me. Because I'm going to tell you, selfishness is going to destroy everything that you hold dear. Relationship with children, relationship with parents, relationship with people in the church, relationships on the job. Be like Jesus. Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came not for himself, but he came for others. He humbled himself and became a man. And then guess what? God highly exalted him. If you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt you in due time. He will lift you up. You don't have to lift yourself up. You don't have to try to prove yourself to anybody. When folks accuse you, speak evil of you, say wrong stuff about you, you don't have to prove yourself right or wrong. Just let it go. Give it to God. God will be your defender. He'll let folks see who you really are and what you really are. There was a lady at work that said something about me and it, and, and it kind of crushed me that I don't even know the lady and it crushed me that she would even think this about me. But then I had to come to the place where I said, God, as an act of my will, I choose to forgive. I ask you to heal the hurt that was caused by what was said and done. And I started to intercede and pray for that lady, not so much for her, but for me. So that God wouldn't, so, so that nothing would set up in my heart where I would become angry, resentful, and bitter toward this lady. God help me. I choose to forgive. A lot of times that's what we gotta do. We gotta forgive even when they don't ask, when, they, when they're not seeking it. We gotta choose to forgive. We gotta give it to God. We gotta let God be our defender. We gotta look at people and try to see the best in them and not see what we think they are. Because the only judgment that's just is God's. So God, I pray you help your people, help us to be, see the world, others, the way you see them. Help us to overcome selfish pride. Lord, Holy Spirit, bring this message to our mind, to our remembrance when we do any of these things to our brothers and sisters. We bless you for it. We praise you for it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure you subscribe and share with someone you know. And tune in next week for more sermons from Truth and Love Ministries.